The following audio is from Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. For more information about Morningstar, visit morningstardayton.org. Uh, right now we're in the middle of our family series. We're going to push pause on that. And next week we'll come back together. We're going to talk about parenting next week and what that means and what that looks like in our family series. But today I'm extremely excited to have Nick Larson. And Nick, a lot of you know, grew up in this church. He's a part of the Larson family. I know they're super proud of him. But Nick is one of our missionaries that we support. Right now we support too. And we're, um, as we're building this missions program at our church. And Nick's part of a, such a huge and vital ministry. And I don't want to steal all of his thunder this morning. But uh, basically he's up at Kent State as a part of H2O Ministries where they plant churches and have um, outreach to college students. I don't know if you know this, but our colleges in our country are just bastions of socialism and liberalism and everything that's anti-God. And so if we can reach them where they're at and show them the gospel and the love of Christ, the forgiveness and the new life that's there, why would we not have missionaries planted in our university and our colleges to take them back and to win these young people to Christ? And so I am super passionate about this and about his ministry. And I, I know that you're going to be blessed and challenged as he comes and shares what God's doing up at Kent State, but also in his life and as he challenges us um, to live on mission. So welcome with me this morning, Nick Larson today. Hey, everyone. Good morning. Uh, if you're new here this morning, welcome. Uh, as John was saying, uh, I know firsthand that if you're new here, you have a home here, you're welcome here, and you can experience God here. If you guys would be willing, uh, turn to John 4, verse 6. There will also be words on the screen, but I'm going to pray in our time this morning, and then we'll get into it. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this community. I thank you for the ways that it is grown even in the, the past couple of years. Um, it seems as though those here have a renewed heart to reach uh, others uh, in their communities, in their country, in the world uh, with the message that you offer. Um, it seems like this church is a very refreshing place um, for people to come and experience God um, and that we are a city on a hill for people to run to for refuge from whatever this life is throwing at them. So I pray for our time this morning. I pray that anything that we would have to say would become smaller and anything that you would have to say would become so much bigger this morning. Amen. I am notoriously bad at slides. Um, and so if it seems like I am four or five slides behind, it is not them forgetting, it is me forgetting. And so I might say, I fully reserve the right to say, go ahead like four or five slides. It shouldn't happen, but... You know, we'll see. But um, if you guys are in John 4, we're going to start in verse 6, and we're going to read mostly to the end of the chapter. We're going to read to verse 26. So it says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty again and keep having to come here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will still, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So that was about 20 verses right there. I know that was a good chunk. Um, But we're only going to hold on to them for a second. There are two main thoughts that I want you guys to grasp onto for now, and we'll repeatedly come back to that in a bit. Um, The first thought that I realized from this passage is that Jesus reveals himself to the most unlikely of people. Um, That is expressed many times uh, talking to the Samaritan woman, uh, that she is an unlikely person to receive the hope and message of Jesus. Um, So hold on to that thought. And then uh, additionally, we see that Jesus is so gentle with us as we go on our journey of pursuing him. So the two points are Jesus revealing himself to the most unlikely of people and Jesus's gentleness. So those are kind of the two bullet points for right now. Uh, I do want to get a bit into my story though. Um, Yeah, so for, I feel like most of you here know me, but for those of you who don't, hello, my name is Nick. Um, I grew up in this church. Aw, that's a very cute picture. Um, Yes, uh, so that is me and my now fiance, Kelly. Um, This is us at our engagement uh, last month. Um, So that's kind of the most recent life update that I have. Um, She and I have been dating for about three and a half years. We met at Kent State. She's great, Um, one of the best conversationalists that I've ever met. Um, And so if you get a chance to talk to her after church, I would say do it. Um, but this is like a picture right after our engagement. We had one of our close friends, Jana, um, take pictures. And this is moments after we got engaged. Uh, she saw this sign that said no and thought it was hilarious. She said, I need to get a picture by the sign. This is the one she was most excited about. Um, so I don't know how to feel about that, but <laughs> it's, you know, it's all right. I guess it's funny, but um, <laughs> yeah. So we're insanely happy. We're excited. That's kind of it. Thank you guys for coming to me and saying congratulations on that this morning. I felt really loved by that. Um, But I want to get a bit into my background as well um, and where I grew up. Uh, I grew up here in Morningstar. Um, If you want to show the next slide. Um, That picture on the left is us in the Morningstar parking lot in 2010. 
Uh, so I was 15 years old, which is not a good time for anyone. And uh, that is us in the parking lot getting ready to head off to summer camp. Um, and some of you may recognize on the ends, there is Jimmy Barton and Richie Mathias. Uh, Richie is now getting married in four weeks. And so, uh, yeah, it's crazy how time flies. Um, and then that picture on the right is me from, my, I think, a year ago. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up in this church. I had a childhood in Morningstar, which was such a huge blessing. Uh, from the get-go, this church has shown me what a spiritual family is supposed to be like. Um, that is what it has been for the almost 20 years that my family has been here. It has been a spiritual home for people. Um, and I still keep up with you guys as much as I can, uh, even though I'm up in the mission field now. I listen to y'all's podcast every week. It's really great. Uh, they post sermons. They post discussions. Would highly recommend it. Um, so this is posted to the podcast at all. Um, to the Nick Larson two weeks from now listening to this, hello. I hope you did a great job. Um, but yeah, so I grew up here. Uh, I grew up in uh, the Centerville, uh, and I went to Centerville City Schools growing up. Um, so those of you that can relate to that, it's a really intense school district. Um, I know a lot of people now intentionally go to districts outside of Centerville because it's so big and massive and competitive. Um, and I was, as I was prepping for this teaching, I just realized that that upbringing in the Centerville City Schools District had such an impact on my journey in college and such an impact on my journey uh, throughout my faith life. Um, Centerville City Schools, for those of you that don't know, has a graduating class of around 800, typically. Uh, it's the third biggest high school in the state. Um, and growing up in that district, I was given a performance-based identity right off the bat. I was literally told in fifth grade that my grades then mattered because that would impact the classes I got into in middle school, which would impact the advanced classes I got into in early high school, which would impact the AP classes I got into, which would impact the college that I got into, which would impact the career that I got. I was told that in fifth grade. <laughs> um, and so from a young age, I truly thought that who I was was about what I was doing, um, how well I was performing. Uh, and I still struggle with that identity to this day. Uh, but I went to Kent State with that mentality of, yeah, I, my life is about what I'm going to do. My life is about my career and how far I advance in that, uh, which is what a ton of college students have is that performance identity. And so I went off to Kent as an architecture major, uh, which if you have any knowledge of college majors at all, you know that that is one of the most intense majors out there. Uh, I was in the studio right off the bat freshman year, about 70 hours a week. Um, and at first I thought to myself, okay, this is great. Like I am based on what I do. My, my identity is about uh, how hard I am working. I'm in the hardest major on campus. This is fantastic. Uh, but as all things in life tend to do that you place your identity in, it eventually disappointed me. Uh, towards the middle of the spring of my freshman year, I just got exhausted. I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't pull the all-nighters anymore. I didn't care about the projects anymore. And that just made me start treating people less than ideally. Uh, I became more sarcastic, more cynical, uh, less loving of a person. And eventually, I think if you looked at me halfway through my freshman year, you would have said, I have no idea if Nick is a disciple of Christ or not. Um, and so that was the process that I was going through. And uh, I eventually had to switch majors. I decided that I couldn't do it anymore. So I switched to communication studies, which is what I finished with. Uh, those of you that knew me growing up know that a major where I get to talk is just perfect. <laughs> and so I, that's what I ended up graduating with. Um, and during my sophomore year, I also started an internship with this little college church called H2O. I'd gotten fairly involved with them my freshman year. Uh, and sophomore year, I did an internship just to get more involved. 
ministry was maybe half a percent on my radar, which I'm sure God was laughing at then and is laughing at now. Um, And throughout the course of the internship, I had this pastor that would sat me down and he said to me, uh, Nick, I know that you have no desire to do ministry whatsoever, um, but I see you as someone who God is shaping his identity. I see God changing who you are, what you're placing your faith in, and I see you as someone who is growing in discernment and someone who is growing in leadership. Um, and I honestly see you as someone who could be a pastor or a church planter with our church network someday. Um, and he really just kept challenging, challenging me in that. And I initially heard that and I hated it. I said, no way. Uh, being a college missionary is a thankless job. Uh, there are more hard days than good days. Uh, the pay is terrible. All of these are true. But <laughs> at the time, like that was just what my mentality was. Um, but over time, God slowly began to shift my mindset towards college ministry. Um, I began to see just the purpose in a collegiate church uh, as a place where people could come and find refuge and find a home, like I'd seen through Morningstar. Uh, But I began to see how vitally important it was in a college environment, in a place where people are told what their worth is. Uh, They're told their worth is in what they do or in how they look or in how socially active they are. Um, A place where you can find refuge and find your identity strictly in Christ is an amazing place. Um, And so I began to realize that Jesus was being so gentle with me, uh, as he was with the woman at the well. I think throughout my college career, I was a woman at the well in a lot of ways. Um, I saw him speaking with this woman, and I read this passage in John 4, and being gentle with her as he shows her who he is. Um, This is the first time in the Gospel of John that Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah, and he does this to a marginalized woman on the outskirts of society. And I began to see this in myself and other college students that Jesus was revealing himself to us as the Messiah in a place where it wasn't supposed to happen. And that was an amazing thing. Um, And so after that, I just realized this is where God has me. He is calling me into the missions field. Um, And so after that, after I graduated in May of 2018, uh, I support raised for a year. Uh, For those of you not familiar with uh, the missions uh, terminology, uh, missionaries have to go out and find monthly support for what they do, and that typically takes about a year. Um, So I did that. There was a lot of challenges, a lot of uh, driving around in my car, um, but it was a really great time, um, and eventually I was fully released to Kent State. Um, And so here I am now as a full-time college missionary with H2O Church at Kent State. Um, And so I just want to talk a little bit about the environment that we're in at Kent and what a lot of college towns are like. Uh, Kent State, for those of you that don't know, is the second biggest school in the state um, with around 30,000 people at our main campus and our network is around 45,000 people with our branch campuses. it's also a city around it of about 30,000 people. Um, so it's a, it's a significant size um, and a significant, significant population that we serve. Uh, their football team is horrendous. <laughs> um, that's kind of one of the things they're notorious for. They played Wisconsin two weeks ago. The final score was 48 nothing. And my initial reaction was not, oh, we got our butts kicked. It was, wow, only 48 nothing. All right. Like, that was legitimately my thought. Um, so... 
it's okay. We don't place our identity in, in that. Um, but we all root for Ohio State anyway, so it's fine. Um, but Kent State, for those of you that don't know, is also a place of historical turmoil. Uh, many of you know about the May 4th shootings of 1970. That really was a key point in the Vietnam War and the, the opinion of the war in America. Um, and so it's just a, always been a huge place of cultural tension. Um, if there are two opposing viewpoints in the world, the most extreme will come to Kent State and then hash it out. Um, we have protests here and then people protesting against that protest over there. It's just a wild place of a lot of cultural tension. Um, and I think that's just college culture overall. Um, there are different elements of a college culture that some people see as a bad thing, some people see as a good thing, uh, but there are a lot of massive college campuses uh, throughout our state. Uh, and I'm going to set aside the, the typical sins that people think of when they think of college culture, uh, you know, drugs, sex, alcohol, all that stuff. If those were the only problems on a college campus, we would be doing all right. But <laughs> there are a lot more challenges as well on a college campus. Um, one of the biggest challenges that we face is the individualism of our culture. Uh, as I said, students are told from day one that what you do is what defines you. And if friends get in the way of that, if service gets in the way of that, if your own personal health gets in the way of that, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you are progressing in your career as much as you can. Um, and it's just a lot of pressure right off the bat. And so from day one, these students are told this, and through that we deal with a lot of mentally drained students. Um, I don't even know the statistics anymore, I used to, but it is crazy how many students on a college campus deal with anxiety and depression on a, week, on a deep level. Um, it's almost as if everyone on campus either deals with anxiety or depression, and in some cases, both. Um, and it's because there is so much pressure placed on them right off the bat. And through all of this, through being mentally drained, through being told what they did to find them, college campuses can be really lonely places. Um, I've had students this semester walk up to me and tell me, I just don't want to feel empty anymore. I just don't want to feel alone anymore. Um, I've had so many students communicate that with me. Um, even though those that are in our church and are serving occasionally will say, yeah, I'm just feeling so drained and so much pressure on me. So those are some of the challenges and the bad components of a college culture. There are several good components as well. Um, there are hearts that are open to change the world on a college campus. And through that, a lot of future leaders emerge. Um, those that are going to be in politics and in churches uh, and cultural leaders in our state are on campuses right now. Um, so if you're looking for the leaders of 20 years from now, it's happening on our campuses. So that's a really exciting thing. Um, we also have people that are open to different points of view, uh, which a lot of folks would see as a bad thing towards Christianity, but I see it as a good thing. Uh, people are more receptive to hearing the gospel message, and if it's communicated to them in a clear way, they're much more receptive to actually listening to it. Um, and through all of that, there is no room for lukewarm Christianity on a college campus. Um, and I think John has done a phenomenal job of kind of expressing this to you guys as a church. Um, that we're not here to play church on a weekly basis. Uh, there's no room for that. We're not here to become a Christian club. We're here to go out and live that outward journey of, uh, that Jesus lived. Uh, we're here to interact with the women at the well um, and communicate and talk with them. Um, and so that's what's exciting about a college campus is there's no uh, lukewarm Christianity because there's no expectation for you to be Christian. Um, and so people who are radically changed uh, are all in when they come to Christ on a college campus. 
So that's really exciting. And we meet so many unique people on a college campus. Uh, one of them, I have three stories that I'm gonna tell for you guys today of individual students. One of them is named Luke. Uh, Luke does not have any social media, so the picture coming up uh, is about the best I got, um, which is great, it's, um, but he's a really good dude. Uh, Luke is three years younger than me, he's a junior this year, um, and he came to school during his freshman year, and he had a desire to find a church right off the bat. Uh, his parents had done an amazing job in raising him up and showing him the relational nature of God uh, and showing that God wants a relationship with us. They did an amazing job of loving him. Um, unfortunately, right before he came to college, Luke's dad passed away. Um, and that's a significant challenge, obviously, right off the bat. And so coming to college, Luke got connected with our church, uh, but the demands of college began to come upon him. Uh, his major was really hard. Uh, he had had a dating relationship that fell out. Um, and eventually he left. He stopped coming around our church for about a year. Uh, we had no idea what he was up to. Um, but after that year, several students in our church that were close to him began to call him back in. They said, Luke, we miss you. We want you back in our church. We want you to keep coming around. Um, and Luke really took that to heart. He, again, felt like an outcast. He felt like a woman at the well. Um, and people were calling him back into community. Some of his friends said, hey, it's important that you connect here with the Lord. You are welcome here. You have a home here. Um, and so Luke started coming around church again. He got more and more plugged in and involved, um, and he's now actually one of the life group leaders of uh, one of the dorms on campus. He actually leads with me in the quad dormitories. So I've got the chance to disciple him for the past few months. It's been a great time, and I absolutely love Luke's story because I cannot wait to see where Jesus is going to take him uh, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. That's one of the most exciting components of college ministry, um, are stories like Luke, stories of people who were tempted to walk away, started to walk away throughout their college journey, but then were radically called back because of the community that Jesus offers. Um, so that was just an amazing thing that I got to experience. So that's story number one, um, and those are the people that our church seeks to serve. Uh, to provide just a brief overview of our church, uh, we were planted from Bowling Green University in 2008. Uh, so we just turned 10 last year, which is amazing. Uh, we serve about 200 students on campus. That's how many we get on a weekly basis at our gatherings. Um, and we also have life groups uh, dotted throughout the campus. Um, some churches call these grow groups, small groups. Um, I forget what you guys call them. I think they're grow groups. Grow groups, there we go, yeah. <laughs> Very similar concept. These are people that you come together and you study the word and you live life together. Um, and that's kind of one of the main ways that our church uh, structures itself is around these small groups so students who are growing up together can study the word together and live life together. Um, our structure is, like I said, we meet on campus in a lecture hall every week. We have to turn a lecture hall into a church service. That's what it looks like as a finished product. Um, and yeah, we just really think that our vision is to serve the Kent State campus. Um, and our church's network vision overall is to serve the college campuses where we're at. Um, we tend to think that students in college are on a journey up, a journey in, and a journey out. Uh, and this is pretty common in most churches. Uh, your journey up is your journey connecting with the Father. Your journey in is your journey with community. Uh, and your journey out is reaching those who don't know Christ around you. And that's our vision for our church, is we base what we want for students out of those three journeys. Uh, the journey up, we want to see students place their identity in God above all else. Uh, I had to go through this freshman year. As I said, I was not placing my identity 
and God. I was placing it in my work and what people thought of me. Uh, And throughout my college career, people kept pointing me back and saying, no, it is in your father. It is in your own brokenness, actually, that you find your identity. The journey in, uh, we want our students to fight the loneliness that is rampant on a college campus. It is so cool to see students freshman year kind of awkwardly get to know each other (laughs) um, and have some weird hangouts and uh, not really know each other too well. But then four years later, um, they're in each other's weddings um, and they're uh, moving to cities based on those people because they want to live life with them. Um, It's just an amazing journey to see uh, how community grows from freshman to senior year. Um, And then the journey out, this is an amazing component of a secular college campus, is that we're able to encourage students weekly, if not daily, to go out and share their faith with just completely random people. Um, And I'll get into some of the ways that we do that in a little bit. Um, So yeah, uh, the next picture I think is our our staff team. It's either one or two away. Uh, Yeah, the next one. We don't have that big of a staff team. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, so that's our cute little staff team in front of the the student center. Uh, College churches need a bit of a bigger staff because we have so much turnover over the course of four years. Um, So that's us. There are some people in that picture that were on the original church planting team in 2008. I'm kind of in the back, kind of hidden away, but it's okay. You know I'm there. Um, And it's a really great opportunity to work with amazing people who have a missional heart for the campus. Um, So yeah, I I think that um, operating on a college campus allows us to really live out the story of John 4. Um, And I think through seeing examples of students coming to Christ, I can see how in any church it is vitally important uh, that we reach out to those that our culture has written off. In a lot of ways, that's the college student. In a lot of ways, they say there's no hope of reaching them with the gospel. Um, And there are people in Centerville and in Dayton as well that we look at and we say there is no hope of reaching them with the gospel message. But if we are to be churches that truly share the gospel like Jesus does, again, the Bible shows us uh, through Jesus how we're to love other people. And through this story, we see that we have to be sharing the gospel with those that our culture has written off, which is hard. It's challenging. Oftentimes, it means sharing the gospel with hard people. But that's what we're called to do. The Christian walk is never promised to be an easy walk that we go about. Um, But it is so fulfilling when I see on a college campus someone that a church has said is not worthy or someone that our society has said is not worthy say, no, I need Jesus. Like, I need him and I'm willing to surrender whatever it takes to him. Um, So we get great examples of that. And I think my initial encouragement to you guys is if there's someone in your life that you have written off is not worthy of the gospel, bring that to the Father with open hands and say, instead, how would you want me to communicate with this person? Um, So we have an amazing message um, that we serve, both in this church, both at H2O. um, And I think that the second story really exemplifies that well. Uh, This is the story of Ethan. Uh, Ethan is an amazing guy. I've only known him for a couple of months. He's a freshman. But he came to campus, a super enthusiastic guy. Absolutely loved talking with him. I've gotten to disciple him this semester. uh, And he came to campus um, kind of falling into some of the same traps that a lot of students coming to campus did. Uh, They're called to place their identity in what they do. They're called to place their identity in a relationship. Um, and Ethan instead got connected with us initially. He faced these challenges, and he connected with us. Um, And he faced a huge trial a couple of years ago. Um, He actually lost his vision uh, at the age of 16 completely. 
Uh, I think it was just something that caused his optic nerve to completely deteriorate. Uh, and so he was used to seeing and having sight for the first 16 years of his life. And then for the last two and into college, he's not able to see at all. Um, and I think uh, if I'm being honest with myself, uh, I didn't write him off as, as being a, a person to receive the gospel. But in some ways, I did write him off for leadership right off the bat. Um, and I do have to confess that, that I said, okay, he's dealing with this challenge in his life. There's no way he could lead a life group or be on production team. Um, there's no way that that could happen. Um, and God really convicted me on that. He called me out so quickly and he said, no, Ethan is one of the people that I have to become a leader because he has an amazing story and because he can use that story to relate to people who need to hear it the most. Um, and so I, I got to connect with him. I've got to disciple him. And he has just shown me how applicable the gospel message is for all, um, no matter where we're at in life, no matter what disadvantages we face. Um, so I love him. He's already talking about wanting to lead a life group as a freshman. Um, and he could honestly lead one in a couple of years, and we're excited to see that. Um, so I just think about how Jesus interacts with Ethan. And he knows he's going through such this huge challenge of losing his sight and he has to be so gently communicating with him. That's one of the things I love about Jesus is he looks at those that our culture have, has written off and he communicates so gently and he says, no, my message is for you too. You just have to be willing to accept it. Um, so I absolutely love Ethan. I can't wait to get to know him more. Um, and it's stories like his that keep us going and uh, keeps us uh, trying to reach the campus as best we can. And I want to give you just a few ministry updates from this year. Um, if you guys have met with me before, you know a lot of the ministry and church outlets that we use, a lot of the ways that we seek to reach the campus. Uh, the first story I want to tell is the story of fall retreat. We were blessed enough to have four baptisms at our fall retreat this year, uh, which was just a couple of weeks ago. Four people with remarkably different stories. Uh, some who were just coming to the Lord for the first time, some who had fallen away and felt the need to rededicate their lives, uh, and some who thought they were following the Lord but realized that it was a shallow faith. Um, and so at our fall retreat, uh, we went into this little river that was not at all sanitary, um, and we baptized these four students, and it was an insanely emotional time of welcoming these new students into community. Um, additionally, discipleship is one of the main ways that we seek to grow students. Uh, I'm discipling four or five students this semester, and they're all so interesting, um, be it my guy life group leaders that I'm discipling, be it Ethan, uh, be it a guy who I have an accountability discipleship relationship with. Um, there are just so many unique challenges that men particularly face going into college. Uh, they're told that they, again, need to focus on their career, but also that they need to be passive and lazy whenever they can. Um, but if it doesn't have to do with their career, then they can kind of like just say no to it and uh, watch Netflix. <laughs> um, and so to be able to be in these discipleship relationships and not only to be able to keep these guys accountable to serving, but also that they keep me accountable to serving is a huge and great blessing. Um, additionally, we have a men's accountability group through that. Uh, I've had the honor of being able to lead that this semester. Um, very similar to the Tuesday morning prayer meetings, we get together as guys and uh, just talk it out, talk about what's going on in our lives, any prayer requests that we have. Um, and that's been so good this semester. We haven't had quite as many people as we're used to, uh, but I think of a particular morning where uh, one of these guys is really excited because he got a new accountability software on his phone, um, and he's saying like it really helped with his pursuit of purity, um, and because of that, all the rest of the guys in that group in that moment got the accountability software on their phone as well. Um, and so it's just really great to see men encouraging and growing each other because that is so rare happening on a college campus. 
Um, Finally, uh, if you've talked to me about our church at all, you know about our pancake outreach. Um, I absolutely love this. We uh, go out to the bars on Thursday night. Our office is downtown, uh, and we set up a table on the sidewalk between bars, and we just start flipping pancakes and passing them out to students um, as an expression of Jesus reaching out to those that our culture has written off. Uh, And we meet some unique people, uh, definitely, but it's amazing. Uh, there was one night in this outreach that we had six deep spiritual conversations going on at once. Uh, You could literally see them dotted throughout the sidewalk of people talking about questions or revealing brokenness or talking about how they wanted to get back into church but didn't know how. Um, This type of outreach, because we're opening ourselves up to live like Jesus, he gives us so many stories of students that are are pursuing him. Um, So many stories of students that need to pursue him as well. Um, Uh, I think another amazing story from the pancake outreach that we have. Uh, One night, there's this dude that, as far as we know, has no experience with church whatsoever. But when he finds out who's flipping his pancakes uh, is a church, he gathers all of his friends around and asks us to pray for him. Um, And he was continuing to just go out and party and have that type of life that he was living. But in that moment, he recognized his need for prayer. Um, And we haven't seen that guy again, but it was so cool to see his little group of five or six friends uh, and then a group of about seven to 10 volunteers around them praying for them. Um, And so, yeah, I I have so many stories that I could go through of what our church um, has been able to do because Christ is working through us on Kent State's campus. Um, And if you see me around after church, I'd love to tell you even more stories. Um, So, yeah, our church is doing all of this outreach with the hope of people choosing God over choosing anything that the world has to offer. Um, Our goal is that at the end of their four years, these students would become better disciples of Christ. Um, And that's not through anything that we're doing actively. Uh, It's through Christ working through us. We don't have uh, a set plan of like, okay, they're going to be this far spiritually progressed at the end of their four years. But um, we just are wanting to constantly encourage these students to become more people of love each day. Um, And one of the best success stories we have uh, through all of our ministries um, of people becoming more people of love um, is through Rachel Steele. Um, And there were two points in this presentation that I thought I might get emotional, and this is one of them, so we shall see how it goes. Um, But Rachel is um, one of my closest friends at Kent. She was the first person that I met in our church network at Kent. Um... And she just instantly knew how to care for and show me joy right off the bat. Um, we were kind of along remarkably similar faith journeys throughout college, um, except she's a girl, so she's more mature than guys are at the age of 18. Um, so she progressed a little faster, I'll admit it. But um, she just is an amazing friend of mine and of Kelly's as well. Um, she's someone that reflects the joy and the peace of Christ so consistently. Um, She came to school. She wanted to get connected right off the bat. She started leading a life group. Uh, She started leading our our first impressions team as well. And I think about Rachel, who is now actually at the University of Cincinnati with her husband, uh, who's studying medicine. And I think about how her joy is going to be so contagious in a new environment. And it makes me so excited to see how God works through her. Her story is incredible. Um, During her junior year, she actually suffered a freak concussion um, that kept her in a dark room for about a month. 
Um, and to this day, it still impacts her on a daily basis, uh, impacts the way she's able to operate throughout the world. Um, but I never once heard her actively complain about it. Um, I heard her communicate and talk and say, I don't think God is going to work in spite of this tragedy. I think he's going to work through this tragedy. Um, and to just hear the faith that she had in him gives us so much joy as a staff team that other students can pursue the Lord in the way she did. Um, so yeah, that's the story of Rachel. And I think stories like her are some of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing. I get asked that a lot. Um, Nick, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you a collegiate missionary? Um, why do you pursue the rough hours and the, um, you know, the, the challenges that come with it? And I look at this picture, and this is the other moment where I thought I'd get emotional. And I see students coming to college and the world screaming at them to be a certain way. Um, screaming at them to worship themselves. Screaming at them to live in whatever way feels good to them. Uh, screaming at them to pursue their career uh, above all else. To pursue a relationship above all else. And the joyful moments that we get to see in moments like baptism of people standing up and actively saying no is just incredible. To see people instead choosing to pursue a discipleship relationship with Jesus and choosing to follow him. Oh, if we only had one story of that in our entire church's history, it would all be worth it. If there was one story of one gospel seed planted that led to one person uh, choosing to pursue the Lord over themselves in college, it would be worth it. And instead, what God has gifted us with is a community who are missionally ready to move. Um, you can see there are five, four or five people baptizing this, this person right here. And it's just such an, a beautiful expression of when a community is ready and excited to answer the call to the gospel. <laughs> And it's not supposed to happen on college campuses. The way campuses are set up, the way the world is set up, we'll be glad to see this not happen. But instead, we see God's light shining in the darkness. We see God's light shining through individual stories of those who have been shaped and changed by the gospel. And that is worth it. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's the reason why I'm doing it. Um, and it's a lot to think and process through. Um, but to close with you guys today, um, I just want to give you a personal encouragement. Uh, John and I were sitting in his office talking before this about, um, you know, what, what is God's work at Kent State? What does that show on a college campus for the Church of Morningstar here? And we talked about it, and we just realized that when a church comes together and lives life together and is missionally ready and prepared to serve it is a beautiful thing. Um, and if the only thing you get from interacting with me um, and from interacting and hearing about our church is a call to personally think about your own mission in life, then it was worth it. Um, and I think one of the things I recognize is that through students who are busy and who are anxious and who are lonely, choosing instead to serve over what the world tells them to do, it makes our church operate 
It's not because of what the staff are doing. It's because of the students who say no to the temptation of the world and say they're going to serve and reach out to students instead. Um, so that would be my encouragement to you guys um, who are not a college church, <laughs> um, but are a community of believers who are in the city of Centerville, who are in the city of Dayton, who are in Southwest Ohio. Um, you guys need to be thinking about what your mission is. Um, and I know a lot of you are. Um, and if you are, that's just so encouraging. Um, and if you're not, just think about the story in John 4 of Jesus' gentleness with people and his call to reach all nations with the gospel. And his call that the gospel does not exclude anyone, that it's open for anyone who would seek to follow him. That would be my encouragement to you guys this morning. Um, yeah, so I'm going to pray in just a minute, but first and foremost, I have to thank you guys. Um, as John said, you guys are my sending church, and I am so grateful to be your guys' college missionary. That's just fun. I enjoy that. Um, and I think that that's amazing, and I want to thank each and every one of you individually as well. Um, obviously, like I said, I'm a support-based missionary, and I did the math the other day, and the personal support of people in Morningstar, uh, so individuals who choose to give outside of their tithing, um, has accounted for 22% of the monthly support that I need from this church exclusively. Um, that is an amazing thing, and I am so grateful for you. <laughs> um, and... I am just so blessed to be able to have you guys in my life. Um, I was blessed to be able to grow up with you guys. Um, so yeah, my personal contact information is up there. I also have connect cards in the back. Um, if you're interested in joining uh, my prayer team, receiving my newsletters, please talk to me. Um, if you're also interested after hearing our stories and personal support as well, you can talk to me or fill out one of those cards as well. Um, but yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray us out, um, and then the band can come up. Um, and yeah, we can finish up our morning. God, uh, I have had so many conversations this semester with people who are at the end of their rope. Um, students who most would think of it as bright-eyed in the world ahead of them, um, who instead say they are not seeing hope in the world. Um, and who are coming forth with some really scary thoughts and intentions um, as they think about the future of their life. Um, and God, I think that that is definitely prevalent on a college campus, but it's prevalent here as well. Um, there are people in the neighborhood across the street from here. There are people in the neighborhood next to here who are feeling at the end of their rope. And part of our call to you as disciples is to go out and love those people well and show them the true hope in life, that their identity is not in their career, that it's not in their next steps, that it's not in their families, but it is in you first and foremost. And so God, I pray that you would challenge and empower this church to do that on a local level, on a national level, on a global level, to say, God, where are there people who are at the end of their rope? Where are there people who are seriously questioning what their identity should be in? Would they have an eye towards that? Would it be people that our culture has written off? Would this be a city on a hill where people can run to for refuge? God, I'm so grateful for this church. I always will be grateful for this church and I am so honored to be their collegiate missionary. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would come on them and empower them and bless them to move forward in mission. Amen.
All right, real quick, with your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment before the band sings. And I, for us, it's always about response. It's all about next steps and what for us. And so after hearing Nick share his heart and Nick is out of this church and he's up at Kent State and he's being a part of what God has him to do, the culture is changing even in our own church. And, and, I, and I hear it and I see it and I love people more and more coming and telling me the stories of the people that they're inviting to church, people that they're talking to about Jesus. And that's, that's starting to snowball and that's awesome. But what about for everybody here this morning? Who is that person? Who is that group of people that are marginalized, outcast, lonely? Maybe they're just a neighbor or a coworker. Who is it you're talking to? See, it's not just about what Nick does. It's not just about, it's just, hey, well, we're going to send Nick to the college and we another check mark off. Or we, we're going to send our money down to Brian Weed down to Nicaragua and another check mark off. Who is it that God is calling you to to talk to right now, to impact right now? Where's your college campus? Where's your group of people? Are you excited about the opportunity of somebody coming to know Jesus because of what you've done, because of God speaking through you, because you're available and you're willing and obedient? It's our mission field. We're on mission. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to stand up. We're going to sing just a, a, a time of worship. And then that's going to be it. But during that time, maybe ask God during this moment as we're going to sing together, God, who is it you want me to talk to? Who is it you want me to reach out to? Who is it that is hurting, lonely, who are separated from you? They're, they're, they're disconnected spiritually from you because they don't have a relationship with Jesus. Who is that? And help me be bold. Help me live on mission. Maybe you need to come forward. Maybe you'd like to have a prayer time with me. Maybe you need to, hey, I just need to present myself for baptism or join the church. Whatever that looks like for you. Will you respond this morning as we sing? Dear Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you. We give it to you today. God, as we sing, as the, as the band leads us in another time of worship, God, impact our hearts. Change us. Help us to take that step, whatever that step is, to step out for you. And we're not going to be lukewarm. We're not going to be mediocre. We're not going to be just happy to be content, to be like, hey, I'm going to heaven one day. But it's about you and about your mission and your glory. God, bring some names, bring some faces to our minds and our hearts, even this morning as we're singing. Break our heart for the people that are breaking yours because you desperately want relationship with them. For your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand and sing with me this morning? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you have any questions about Morningstar Baptist Church or today's message, visit MorningstarDayton.org and choose Contact Us.